0: For some reason in 2023, we can't put a damn baseball game on the internet, Uh, but that's a whole (laughs) nother thing. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the costume designer for the music video of the 1993 Toby Keith classic, Should Have Been a Cowboy, My Brother Mike. Every single spur, bolo tie, pair of Wranglers, cheesy mullet. Those were all my ideas. Okay, every single one of them. Jean jacket. He, he basically invented the jean jacket. You put it on the map at the very least. Do you know how much denim we had to buy for that shoot? Okay, all right. I hope you had stock. I hope you had stock in Wrangler or Levi back then because <laughs> you, it, it was going Apple levels of of of, of big back then. Uh, yeah, Mike. I, I I love
1: the the cowboy shirts from back then too because they're always like multicolored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like one vertical red, the other side is like beige, and you're like
0: good to go. How many uh, MTV Video Music Awards you win for that one, Mike?
1: It, well, I don't think it made it on MTV. I think it was CMT. Oh, okay. But uh, I don't know. Uh, the late 80s and early 90s are a blur for me because of my uh, go-go lifestyle. So <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I don't even remember. Okay. Uh, well. On this week's episode, we'll look back at another hot week in spring training for the Royals. We're going to discuss some stock of a few Royals players we want to look at. And then we're going to preview the upcoming week of spring baseball, where Mike and I will be down in Arizona, getting a live look at players, minor league, major league, just really digging into sort of observations that we're seeing from the players. There's nothing like a live look at baseball to really get a sense of how the team is doing. But first, a reminder that we, well, this is just, this is the reminder. I shouldn't, I should have, I shouldn't have jumped right into that. Uh, so because we're going to be down in in Arizona, you will be getting a whole bunch of bonus content this week. So a- extra episodes coming out Thursday morning, or wait, what is it? Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Monday morning. You will have a bonus episode out a lot this week. We'll be putting up a ton of content on YouTube. On Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed and following on all the channels you possibly can. Because we will be putting out a ton of additional content while we are down in Arizona. We've even floated an idea about making YouTube shorts called Sh- Shorts in Jorts. Uh, so let us know what you think about that. We will be wearing jorts perhaps when we do some of this content making. Just And they will be cut off jorts too. None of this we bought them that way nonsense. And so, yeah, <laughs> make sure that you've prepared yourself to to uh, consume all that content mentally and physically and definitely emotionally. Yep. The last week of Royals baseball has been what has to be described as pretty successful right I mean they've done some things roster wise but they're pretty minor uh, they did go ahead and sign Jackie Bradley jr. they announced sometime during last week JJ Picola came out and said we're looking to sign some infield depth and about a day later they signed Jackie Bradley jr who's a veteran outfielder had some decent years with the Guardians Red Sox Jackie Bradley oh yeah you're right yeah you're right Red Sox yeah you're right Red Sox don't know why I put him in Cleveland uh, but anyway with the Red Sox he had some decent years uh, Known as a glove-first outfielder, uh, really this is a depth move because Drew Waters got hurt, Diego Hernandez got hurt, and Brewer-Hicklin is also hurt. And so this might serve as a move for the minor leagues just as much as the major leagues. I don't know what the odds are that we actually ever see Jackie Bradley Jr. at the major league level for the Royals. Mike, do you think that this signing matters all that much? I know he's a somewhat big name, but do we re- are we going to see him in Kansas City at all? Yeah, he's a big name because he was a big
1: prospect. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be a a really, really good major league player. And he was a solid major league player for many years. Uh, I don't think it's going to impact the team all that much because I think they're going to be able to cover it with a combination of Isbel Eaton and possibly Samad Taylor. But if any of those guys go down for any length of time, you're likely to see Jackie Bradley Jr., at least on on the 26-man roster, because uh, our other options are bad. You you want to see Edward Olivares playing center field people.
0: And that's the real thing. I think, I think they would, I don't think it matters that much just because if Jackie Bradley Jr. gets significant time on the team, it's going to impact him in that he's not going to be very good, right? Like he just doesn't have the offensive capability to really do anything, uh, make a dent at the major league level. Now, will he play a solid center field? Probably. Will it be as good as it used to be? No, it won't be. Um, but it'll be solid and be better than Olivares. And so, you know, it's a depth move. I think, you know, if unless another injury occurs, I don't think there's a, I don't think he's really going to be playing at the major league level all that much, but there's a chance that if another one occurs, he ends up on the bench for a while and gets a few uh, games here and there with the Royals. So we'll see on that one. On On another injury front, Ryan Yarbrough was sort of set back in his throwing program with a groin strain. Uh, and Rod- Annie Rogers, I'm sorry, it is Annie Rogers of MLB.com described the injury as not too serious. And so I guess it's just like, uh, they're going to push him back for a week or so and see if he, uh, if he can get some rest and re- and, uh, just start feeling better with that groin strain. Yarbrough was kind of in the mix. It seemed like for that fourth or fifth rotation spot. We'll see if this hurts his ability to uh to land that i'm not really sure i'm not really sure where that competition is right now honestly i can tell you i've seen a couple guys i think have probably acquitted themselves well in that competition and some guys who have not but i think it's still really up in the air since we're so still so early in spring training uh this last week the royals went six and two record wise during spring training they played eight games this week because of a split squad game Uh, that brings their overall record in spring training to nine and two They are destroying the Cactus League, as is a tradition. Uh, uh, Record-wise, they're shoving in spring training. Mike, did anything stand out to you as particularly noteworthy about the play? We know that record means virtually nothing. Uh, Anything stand out to you in terms of the play?
1: The offense has actually looked pretty good, I think. Uh, You know, some of that has come at the back end of games where it's, you know, our minor leaguers playing against guys who are going to be minor leaguers and things like that. But I'll take the run production. We lead major league baseball in OPS with nine forty seven team OPS right now, which is insane. Unheard of. And then seven, 7.7 runs per game is what the Royals are averaging right now. It's they're hitting the crap out of the ball and you are seeing some production from those guys that are going to be regulars. Bobby Witt jr. Has been very good. Um, you know, you've even seen kind of a spark here from Nick Prado lately. Vinny Pasquantino has been very good. Uh, yeah, so it's it's been good to watch the offensive production and I'll I'll keep taking that.
0: Yeah, on the pitching side, I've just been happy with the fact that it seems like they're still limiting walks like they were early in in uh, spring training, uh, especially the guys who really matter are, are limiting walks.
1: Yeah, they did a real good today. Did you look at that today? 13 strikeouts to
0: one walk. They did real. Their pitching staff today in today's game was Jordan Lyles. It was Josh Stamont. It was Jose Quas. It was, there was one other reliever in there. I can't remember who it is. I'm sorry to whoever that is. Oh, it was Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett. Yep, that was it. And then they had somebody, Weiss, I think, close it out. uh, And he's the one who gave up the run, I think. But, Overall, it was a very, very good pitching performance from the Royals today. And I think in, I think I saw a stat on Twitter earlier from Joel Penfield, who uh, runs the podcast at Run- One Royal Way, who said that right now their strikeout-to-walk ratio is hovering right around 3-to-1, which is, a you'll, you're happy to see 3-to-1 as a strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's really good. Uh, I'll have to look at their walk percentage as a team and stuff like that to really understand if it's at where we want it to be, but... Observationally, they are doing a lot better job throwing strikes uh, all the way into the second week of spring training uh, so far. Mike, any individual performances? You mentioned a few names. Anything you want to look at, or the things that you've seen in the first couple of weeks that are really standing out to you?
1: Yeah, the the offensive performance of Bobby Witt Jr. And really, he's played well defensively as well, but uh, offensively, he's looked really good. He's really driving the ball well and laying off, breaking pitches early in counts. And that's that's kind of one of the things you and I picked out. T- for things to look at with Bobby Witt Jr. is can he lay off those breaking pitches that pitchers want to throw him because they know he'll swing at him down and away, especially early in counts. So it really looks like he's been looking for a specific spot and then hammering the ball when he gets those. Hasn't hit any home runs yet, but the balls he hitting he's hitting are are really hard, and so it's good to see that. Uh, we'll get to see probably some more of those uh, WBC games. I don't know how much he'll get in them, but. Uh, he'll be he'll be there. So I'm hoping he gets some time with with the World Baseball Classic coming up.
0: Yeah, I think he's he had in a bat the other day versus the Dodgers where I thought it was just like classic sign of progression on his part. He gets into two into a two strike count, but not because he's like swinging at bad pitches or anything like that. I think he fouled off a pitch that he swung at that he really wanted to get a hold of. So he's in a two strike count. And a guy throws him a breaking ball low and away. It, it's maybe 50-50 in the strike zone, not in the strike zone. But he does the exact right thing you should do with it. He takes it and he lines it through the hole in between first and second. It was just a tremendous piece of hitting from him. And you're seeing a, more mature at-bats from him. And that's just going to go so far. Because if you're a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., if you're, swing for the fences, swing hard, look for power early in counts. Look for power when you're ahead in counts. But when you're two strikes with your speed, whatever you got to do to get on base. Whatever you got to do to get on base cuz your single could very easily become a double, right? Your walk, your hit by pitch could very easily become a double, especially now with the way the rules have changed. He might steal 45 bases, 50 bases this year because of the way the rules have changed and stealing is going to be much more incentivized. The the other thing I'm looking for from
1: him and I haven't really got a chance to notice any of this yet. Last year there were too many balls in the heart of the plate that he fouled off instead of putting in play. That's kind of another progression thing that I'm looking to see from him. Does he get any that are kind of center cut that he needs to do real damage on that he's fouling off instead of putting in play? But other than that, I mean, the guy's performances so far this spring has been just top notch.
0: Yeah, and I think we're seeing some of that in spring training, but that could just be like a timing thing. Like a lot of guys aren't on their timing right away in spring training. And so I think he's the type of guy who, will wax and wane on those pitches in the heart of the plate. He'll get into stretches where he's just putting every single one of them out and hitting them in the gaps for doubles and stuff like that. And then he'll get into some stretches where eh, he's fouling them off or he's just missing. And and that just that's happened that happens to some player. The goals the goal is to really just make more stretches where you're hitting them out than stretches where you aren't quite connecting with them. Uh a guy who has been connecting with a lot of stuff and a guy who I've been impressed with at least for the last week is Brad Keller. Um, there was talk about, oh, he's worked on his stuff. He's developed a curveball He's going to lean on his changeup a little bit more, you know, this, that, and the other. And I think we've seen it. Uh, the numbers don't look great for him overall, just because in the first inning, he came out and pitched, he gave up a few runs and he's only thrown like four or five innings. And so, you know, but if you watch the innings, if you watch the games, his stuff is better. I think he's got like, I don't know, I, I, I forgot to look it up, but he's gotten like six or seven strikeouts in like four innings. He's he's really getting way more swing and miss with his stuff so far in spring training. And that's an important element for him. Being able to get swing and miss is a is very important element for Brad Keller. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him. The walks haven't been too bad. Um, I think he's just under four walks per nine as a stat so far in spring training. You could live with that. Uh, I'd like it to keep going down. I'd like it to get around three at the very least. But I'm happy with where Brad Keller is. If somebody asked me, hey, what's going on with that 4-5 rotation battle, I'd say he's one one of the pitchers who probably has an early lead. It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, review, like, and comment about this podcast on whatever platform you use. It's really important that you do it right now because we're going to be putting out a bunch of bonus content this week. You want to see all that cool stuff. Subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on a, on a podcast platform, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all those different things, okay? Doing this stuff helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing a good job and you want us to do special things like go to Arizona and create a whole bunch more content. We're doing this for you guys, all right? We bu- we booked plane tickets for you. Um, so make sure to follow us on all the social medias. Make sure to subscribe, like, it helps us a bunch. We just hit our first episode of 1,000 listeners and that's because you guys have been awesome So please make sure you go out, subscribe, rate, and review. I think we've seen enough spring training now to start providing some assessment of where players are at this point. You always want to sort of hold back just a little bit to not draw too many big conclusions. And we're not going to draw big conclusions. We're just going to give initial impressions here. Um, But as we move closer to opening day, we'll start to learn more and more. Some of the players we're going to talk about today in our spotlight segment are in position battles. Some of them are just looking for bounce backs, Uh, but all of them are intriguing for one reason or another. And we're going to give this as like a buy or sell. Are you buying or selling this guy up to this point in spring training? Uh, Mike, let's get it kicked off with a pitcher. Everyone is watching as a sort of bellwether for this new, it feels like everybody's treating Lynch like the bellwether of this new pitching coaching and how it's going. Um, Do you buy or sell Daniel Lynch at this point in spring training?
1: Well, first I think they see him as the bellwether because of his natural ability uh, I think that a lot of people feel like he's got the highest ceiling of the guys who still need, need to kind of prove themselves. Uh, I'm still, I'm going to say sell on Daniel Lynch, but it's not going to take much more before it's going to take, I should say a time or two more seeing some of the changes and before I can actually be buying. Now you and I both know that the fastball is still an issue. Okay. But it looks like the slider may be, may have improved. Like it's, it's a lot harder. And, you know, uh, somebody today, somebody today, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, and I'm sorry for not giving you credit. They said, you know, the slider's going so much harder and the the stuff metric for it is so much higher. It's getting close to being a cutter. And he said, so it's like a combination of a slider and a cutter. And he goes, it's a slutter. And I'm like, oh, that's good stuff. Because <laughs> you and I have been talking about how Daniel Lynch needs something to change for his fastball. Maybe it just means he's going to throw it a lot less. And this new slider that goes a little harder or slutter, whatever you want to call it, it will be something he leans heavily on. Um, we haven't seen, I don't know that we've seen necessarily results that we want to see from Daniel Lynch yet. I don't know that we've seen the command that we want to see from Daniel Lynch yet. And that's why I'm still selling right now on Daniel Lynch. He could turn it around in the spring. We might see wonderful things later on. And I hope we do. But um, right now it's still a sell for me.
0: For me, it's a tentatively buy. And it's because of that improved Breaking stuff, that curveball, that slider. Um, you mentioned. I wish I could give this person credit too. I, I I know what tweet you're talking about, but he he talked about how Lynch's um, slider is now would now grade out as above average in the stuff plus metric, and so obviously he's done work on the slider. He's. I think what he's really trying to do is differentiate between his curveball and his slider, make him look different because right now they're both vertical pitches. And I think he wants to make the slider more horizontal and keep the curveball more vertical. And that way they differentiate from each other a little bit. Um, His changeup is remains pretty good. And I, and I like it as a pitch. You're right. The fastball still needs work. And that's why I'm tentatively buying. It's the fastball and the command that makes me tentatively buy Daniel Lynch. Uh, We've seen one, two starts from him so far. One of them did not go well and was not good. And the other one did go well. And so I think, Do I think he's at his potential? I do not. I think he still needs more work differentiating those pitches, working on his command, and making a decision about what he's going to do with his fastball. And it could just be he throws it less. That's fine, too, I guess. I think you got to kind of try and turn a fastball into some sort of a weapon, but maybe those are the answers for him. But I am tentatively buying at this point.
1: Well, the good thing I like about the slider, too, is if you improve the slider, you differentiate it from the curveball. You've just made two of your pitches better, not one. You know, you're going to get better results from your curveball by changing your slider to make it more different. So I kind of like the two for one special that you get with that. And, uh, you know, and I'm excited to see what he does in his next
0: start. And honestly, this is a trend for what the coaching staff is really trying to do with all a lot of the pitchers is create um, more distinct pitch profiles for each of these pitches. So that guys are getting into different quadrants with each one so that they don't look similar and things like that. You see it with uh, Keller. You see it with. Lynch, you see it with a whole bunch of other guys where they're just essentially, you see it with the singer that what they're doing with his changeup. Hernandez too. Two Seamer. Hernandez as well. They're all trying to create more distinct pitches for them so that they can get batter's eyes into different quadrants and that sort of thing. Speaking of Brad Keller, I want to, he's our next guy up on the list. Mike, are you buying or selling what you've seen from Brad Keller so far? I'm buying.
1: I I think Brad Keller had to do this. I I think it was really his only option as far as, are you going to continue to be in a rotation are you going to continue to, you know, it's his last year with the Royals probably, you know, so he, he needed a change and it looks like he's changed. Now we haven't seen the in-season results of that yet, but he couldn't just keep doing what he was doing. That was never going to work. And so I, I like that he's leaning on the slider a little bit more. I like that he has a little bit more distinct slider versus his curveball. Um, I still think I, I've always thought his best fastball was his two seamer, so I would rather see him throw that. With the combination of the slider and the curveball, then the four seamer that he was really leaning heavy on early in the year last year, and so if he can, I think if he can keep the slider going heavy, use the curveball, I think that with the two seamer, I think he's going to have a good. I like that profile. I like from a righty slider with a good horizontal movement and a two seamer going the other way. I like that, and so uh, I'm I'm buying on Keller, and I think he makes the rotation if he can keep doing what he's been doing.
0: Yeah, I'm buying too, and it, it's for the very same reasons that you mentioned. I think the stuff has gotten better. I think that'll make him more confident, which might make the command quite a bit better. I think I find it interesting that he's actually, it looks like he's throwing more changeups to me than he has ever in his career, which I would find very interesting. Like, if you're Brad Keller, even if you've improved your stuff, it's not going to be elite stuff. So you need to throw as many pitches as you have. Throw as many fringe pitches as you've got, right? Like, I, I feel like this pitching staff has come in and been like, you know what we all need to do? Throw as many pitches as we can because none of your stuff is elite. And so like, yeah, if you're Brad Keller, you're better as a four-pitch pitcher than a three-pitch pitcher. What's weird is in Japan, they've known this for years, right? In Japan, <laughs> everybody throws 900 pitches. But it, just now in the Major in Major League Baseball, people are learning like, hey, no, it's it's actually better to throw more pitches than fewer pitches as long as they're distinct from each other. And so that's what it seems like the Royals pitching staff is trying to get them to do have distinct pitches that go into different quadrants. And Brad Keller looks to be benefiting from it right now. You're seeing all the arm talent that he actually had and the reason people are excited about him. And so let's hope he keeps that up moving into the regular season. Hey, and just a heads up, if they start
1: him in the rotation and he has a good first half, you might be able to trade him for at least something of value. So, that could be huge.
0: And they absolutely should. They absolutely should. Starting pitching is always rare uh, at the deadline. Like effective starting pitching is rarely on the market at the deadline. And so you can get a haul for it.
1: And the one thing you can say about him in his career is that he stayed healthy. So, you know, yeah, that if he's, uh, if he's effective, look for him as a trade candidate at the deadline.
0: Next up, everybody's favorite third baseman, Hunter Dozier. <laughs> Mike, are you buying or selling Hunter Dozier's performance so far in spring training? His numbers are good. Are you, what are you thinking about Hunter Dozier right now? I'm still
1: selling, and that is because I've seen him play a lot longer than a spring training to know what Hunter Dozier can do. Uh, we were watching, I think it was the Dodgers game last night, and it hit my, with my, I was watching it with my father-in-law, and he they, they hit that sharp one, and I wasn't that sharp, down the down to third base, and Dozier took like a step and dove for it and, and made a decent play, but he's like, my father in law was like, Oh, it was just one step. I was like, That's all he's got is one step <laughs> as far as range goes at third. So don't be expecting like, you know, a bunch of range there. No, I am still selling on Hunter Dozier. I still think his best uh role with the team is as a guy who plays against lefties that he can really hit and plays usually in a DH first base kind of role. Uh yes, he'll get time at third, but I think you have a better option at third in Michael Garcia. And so I, I don't know that hunter dozier's the guy i would have playing third base but uh, i hope he proves me wrong and he is having a great spring
0: yeah i'm tentatively buying hunter dozier but that tentativeness is just buying because i think they're going to put him in the right situations i don't think it's going to be i'm not buying hunter dozier as an everyday starter at third who is also an all-star or anything like that i'm buying hunter dozier as like yeah sometimes he'll play third against pitchers he can hit Sometimes he'll play first. Sometimes he'll play DH, you know, in an emergency, he might go into the outfield. I think him being deployed correctly is one of the hall was going to be one of the hallmarks of this coaching staff. I, I mentioned it on Twitter and we, we talked with David Lesky last week to go and listen to that episode. It's a really good conversation. Uh, we talked with David Lesky about turning one war players into two war players, two war players into three war players. Hunter Dozier is a great example of a guy who is projected to be a half win above replacement player a half-win player who this coaching staff should turn into a one-win player to a one-and-a-half-win player just by deploying him in better situations. If you do that, if you work on his infield defense a little bit, you might you should have the ability to turn this guy into something that is half a win to one-and-a-half, or really one win to one-and-a-half win. Now comes everybody's golden boy. Mike, you already talked about him a little bit. Are we buying or <laughs> selling Bobby Witt Jr.'s performance so far in spring training? I'm bye bye bye, baby. Bobby Baseball's my
1: guy. He's looks like he's taking a step forward offensively from the small sample size that we have. If he can continue that, I know it's really hard because a lot of times when it comes to approach, you have an instinct as a hitter, and so even if you improve, it's very easy to backslide into what you're used to, especially as the summer gets long, and you know, and you start to press or something like that. Uh, but I'm. I am buying Bobby. Uh, the improvements that he's made. I'm excited to see what he does for the season. I really want to see those walk numbers go up, and I think the. I think. I think the power numbers are always going to be there for him, but we need to see a little bit better on base ability. He's made a couple really good plays at shortstop too, uh, and so yeah, I'm. I'm really excited for what Bobby Witt Jr. is going to bring this year. I'm all in
0: on Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah, baby. I'm buying like Apple in the 80s. Okay, that's how yeah. I'm buying. I'm buying like you know. <laughs> <laughs> buying like LT bought cocaine in the eighties. <laughs> buying like no. the Mets. Like buying like the Mets bought cocaine in the eighties. <laughs> no drugs are bad, kids. Don't drugs are drugs. bad. Stay um, in school. No, stay in school. Uh, you know, or don't. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm buying big time on Bobby way Junior. And I think. There are a few things to note about his spring training so far. You mentioned that he's made some good plays at short. I think what's more important that is, is that he hasn't made any big mistakes at short, right? We know that like his issue last year wasn't making the spectacular play. It was making the routine play consistently. And so I haven't seen any major mistakes from him. Uh, granted, I only get to watch 25% of the games because for some reason in 2023, we can't put a damn baseball game on the internet, uh, but that's a whole nother <laughs> thing. Uh Uh, I'm buying him big time because I see the offensive progression. I think you're right. That instinct to sort of slide back, it's got to be tough for him. Okay. So imagine you're Bobby Witt Jr. You've been playing baseball for 20, well, around 20 years, because I assume you didn't play at like one or two years old, but you probably started playing baseball like five years old, right? Like some version of it. And you have been the best baseball player around yourself, anywhere near you within a 300 mile radius every time you've played. And so you can just hit everybody right? Like you can always hit your Bobby Witt junior. You can swing at anything. You can hit anything. And then you get to the major league level and all of a sudden you can't anymore, right? Because Justin Verlander exists at the major league level because Cole or Garrett Cole exists at the major league level. Like it's really tough to like now have an approach and never slide back into that instinct that says you can hit that thing. It doesn't matter, right? Like swing anyway, you can hit. Um, but I, I do see him taking that step, and it looks like he's making that progression. Really tough thing to do, but so far in spring training, I have been super impressed with the way he's playing baseball. Can't wait to see him starting opening day. Big, big uh, year for Bobby Wood Jr., I'm hoping. This next guy, eh, he's, he's part of a, one of the important position battles for the Royals this, this year, and that's the second base battle. And we're talking about Michael Massey. Mike, are you buying or selling Massey up to this point in spring training?
1: This, been, this was the hardest one. Um, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm going
1: to, I'm buying just because not, not just because of what's happened in this spring training, because of what I saw from Michael Massey as a prospect. Um, I know he didn't, there were times last year where he struggled quite a bit, but I think the glove will always be there. I think he will always be a solid defensive second baseman to above, even really above solid. He's, he's an above average, uh, second baseman. And I think he'll have the approach that can keep him in the lineup every single day because I, he can hit. I mean, the guy can hit. He'll have a little bit of power. I just, I worry that sometimes he's going to get into a, a pattern where he wants to swing a bunch and where he's swinging at everything. And, and that's not going to be good. Those are the days you're going to get pulled. You know, you're going to pull the next day and Nikki Lopez is going to go in there, but this is an interesting battle too, because Nikki's going to play for the, in the world baseball classic. So Massey's going to get a lot of time. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope to see he talked on the broadcast. I think last night, about kind of the approach and how he's he's going into hitting now and that he got a little pole happy at times last year. And so he's trying to stay in the center in center. And I think that can be an issue because he was a guy, nobody thought of as a power hitter. And then was it last year or two years ago, he, he starts, I think it was last beginning of last year. He starts hitting a lot out and that sometimes can be a curse. And so Michael Massey in major league baseball needs to be hitting a lot of doubles. He needs to keep that all fields approach. Um, Yeah. And, but, but I like him. I do like him as a player. I like his profile. I think he wins that second base job. That's why I'm buying.
0: I'm selling. And here's why he hasn't played well this spring. (laughs) Like he has not shown any offensive progression. He is a guy who likes to swing. He swings too much and it shows in the plate appearances that he has. He's had a bunch of really not good plate appearances this spring. He's done some good things with the glove. And I like that he's looked pretty good at second base, but he has to hit a significant amount if you're not going to be I don't think he's Nicky Lopez at second base. No. I think he's an above yeah. average second baseman and that's great, that's fine, but he's got to hit if he's going to be that. And so far he really hasn't done that much to show me that his plate appearances that his approach is going to be better. He needs to swing less. He needs to be focused on a all-fields line drive approach rather than trying to hit the ball in the air a bunch because even if he like he can't live on fly balls. He's got he's got to be hitting line drives. He's got to be taking walks. He's got to have a better approach at the plate. And right now he's just too swing happy. And so if somebody asked me, hey, right now, who do you think would give the Royals the best chance to win at second base? My answer would not be Michael Massey. My answer would not be Nicky Lopez. My answer would be Michael Garcia. I see. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> and <laughs> And so that's if you're asking me right now. Now, Garcia, we haven't seen enough of him in pro baseball. We haven't seen enough of him against major league level pitching. All that still applies, but we know he's a great glove. And so we know he'd probably play better defense at second base than Michael Massey. I think the, the the approach, the plate gives him a leg up offensively just a little bit. I'm not saying he should start ahead of Massey at second base because there are things to consider with his development. Maybe he should be playing third, who knows right about that. And Michael Massey could, you know, rally this spring and start hitting better and having better approach plate appearances and things like that. But right now today, March 5th, when we're recording this, if somebody asked me who gives the Royals the best chance to win at second base right now, my answer is probably Michael Garcia. The Royals play the Diamondbacks, White Sox, Padres, Brewers, Guardians, and an exhibition game against the Great Britain WBC team this week. Mike and I will be attending three of those games. Uh, Mike, what are some, well, three of those games and then a bunch of minor league games or some minor league games. Mike, what are some things that you plan to focus on when we're down in Arizona? Uh, I'm going to look for
1: approaches from some of the hitters because I feel like, and, and some of those guys specifically would be Nick Prado, who seems who's gotten on a little bit of a hot streak here, but I want to see the actual pro- approach. Cause a lot of times he's getting in games against minor league guys right now. And I want to see him start games and play, see how he does against major leaguers. Samad Taylor has impressed me. So I want to see uh, how he hits and then Massey's the other one. Uh, but I feel like when you're in attendance, that's really one of the only things that you can look at. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But yeah, I'm really looking for approaches from some of the hitters uh, who are going to get more at
0: bats because of the WBC guys leaving. I'm looking to see uh, command and stuff. I want to look at pitching while we're down there. So one of the things you can look at that I think is particularly interesting, especially from where we're sitting, is what does the stuff look like? What does the command look like? You know, especially for those guys battling for the fourth and fifth rotation spots there are a lot of them i mean we've seen what john heasley's done so far not great we haven't seen anything from bubich so far because you know uh he hasn't pitched yet it just came out yesterday or today that he was pushed back because of some shoulder soreness and so he's going to make his first appearance sometime in the next week or so um and so i'm look i'm interested in commanding stuff for guys battling for that fourth and fifth rotation spots we've seen good performances out of singer lyles granky has looked dominant this spring uh you know and who's the other guy uh keller's looked okay lynch had one good start
1: my boy my boy john heasley has not impressed he is not
0: max castillo has not impressed there are some guys who are falling away hernandez has been yeah. hernandez i think they're thinking of just as a reliever at this point i don't think they're gonna oh yeah they're yeah. even considering him a starter and so you know i think uh it's interesting to me that what what's going to happen with that fourth and fifth rotation spot. So I want to see the guys battling for that spot and see what they look like uh, in a live look. Uh, thinking about what we can get out of a live look, Mike, what do you think we can see live that may not be as visible on TV? Uh,
1: well, one thing for me, I already mentioned the, the approach at the plate. I think you can see that live, but, you know, if you're like me, when I watch a baseball game, I'm not always like, super hyper focused in on every little thing. For some at bats I am, for others I'm not. When I'm at a game, I'm I'm locked in. I'm watching the game intently. And so that'll be the one thing I'm looking for. But the other thing that we don't get to see that I'm excited to see is the the stadium gun. I want to see the velocity numbers for some of these guys. Now I know the surprise gun can be a little hot but at least gives me an idea, especially when they when when, for example, when Lynch is throwing that slider, I want to know how hard is it going? And so that's one thing that we'll get to see. But honestly, I don't think that there's a whole lot you can see live that is really going to tell you a whole lot that you can't see uh, on the TV. And sometimes it's a worse look live than it is on TV.
0: Yeah, I, the one thing that I really like to, to to look at live that you can't see nearly as well watching the game on TV is uh, fielding related things. Jumps that guys get in the field are an important thing to me, especially in the outfield, but also in the infield. I mean, you see first step quickness a lot better and a live look than you see on TV because by the time the camera gets to the guy who's fielding the ball, he's already in motion. He's already taken off. And so I want to see some outfield stuff. I want to see some infield stuff, the jumps that guys are getting in the field. I also want to see swings from a profile. And so you can see him in batting practice. You can get in a good position to see them alive. But uh, take a look at a guy's swing. To me, that's very interesting, the mechanics of somebody's swing. It will tell me something about, you know, what they've done to change and some things like that. We can see the head on view when we're watching on TV, but you can't see a guy's profile most of the time. And so I'd like to take a look at that as well. We're about to move into the middle of March here in about a week or so. um, And I think it's time to start answering some questions for the Royals as we move into the middle of spring training. Mike, what questions do you think the Royals will need answers to in about a week when we uh, are heading back for, from our trip. And it looks like we're in the middle of spring training. I don't know that they have to have these questions answered by that
1: time, but they should have a somewhat of an idea and that's who's going to be in the starting rotation. Who is going to, who's going to get those spots. And you know, when we talked earlier in the spring before really spring training even started, we said, well, there's a lot of candidates for those four and five spots. And now with some injury stuff and you know, Yarbrough's got a tweaked uh, groin, Bubich has had trouble with his shoulder. Heasley hasn't been very good. Looks like Hernandez is just, you know, they're just going to keep in the bullpen. Now that number has gotten much lower. We haven't seen uh what's his name? Zerpa on Zerpa at all. Um, you know, I so it, it's kind of narrowing itself down. Now I think Bubich obviously still has a chance. Yarbrough, depending on how quickly he comes back from that injury probably still has a chance, but uh you know, I'm I'm just not sure we have those answers and I would like to see at least something shake out by the time you get to the middle of March or something close to shaking out right now. It looks like Lyle's Granky, singer, probably Keller has earned one and possibly Lynch. Those if Lynch can put together a couple more performances here, it looks like maybe those five are your, are your five unless you can think of somebody else who it'll depend on what Bubich does and how healthy he is, but we'll have to see.
0: It'll also depend on what Keller does and Lynch does. You know, like I, they've they've had two starts each. I think I think there's still time for them to blow up and, and not really. Well, let's say they do. Let's say they do. Where do you go? Bubich probably or Yarbrough or you know if he's healthy. Yeah. If he's healthy, yeah. like yeah, I mean that that is the question. Too many question marks you know, if there. If they're so healthy, uh, I think Kowar hasn't looked great. No, he's looked bad, um, and so the rest of the guys have really separated themselves in a negative way (laughs) they've they've not pitched well and you know i think the royals are desperately hoping that there are no injuries to this rotation because right now it's clear that jonathan heasley looks like he's not ready uh you know uh who's the other guy jackson Kowar looks like he's not ready max castillo looks like he's not ready drew parrish had a
1: solid inning but he's not he's not ready to pitch in major league baseball
0: you you want no you want him in triple a this year um, solidifying what he can do there. And then maybe sometime after the all-star break, he gives you some spot starts if he's ready. Um, the, the position battle I'm sort of paying close attention to is, it's not really a position battle. I, it's weird to call it that, but I'm still curious, like, who's going to play third base? I know that they said, well, it's Hunter Dozer's job to lose, essentially. But they also opened the door that, you know, Mikel Garcia might win it, might play third base. You know, they've opened the door a little bit to other guys like Nate Eaton, like Mikel Garcia. They've had other guys play over there like Duffy and things like that. Um, I'm just not sold right now that Hunter Dozier is the guy they really want to play at third base. And if that's the case, who's it going to be? I think the next couple of weeks, the next week or so is going to help separate. Some of these guys is going to help tell us who's going to be playing third base uh, the most often. Now, honestly, I think the ultimate answer might be like, nobody's a third, nobody's the third baseman. Like you're gonna to have to look at us like we have a few third basemen, Right. Um, and I think that's going to be the case because honestly, Dozier doesn't have the profile. Mikel Garcia might, but I think they want him to get some more time in triple a Duffy. It will never be anybody starting third baseman moving forward. Uh, it, there's just, they don't have a real solution there. And so I wish they had a left-handed bat there too. Honestly, somebody left-handed why? to just to they're stuffed. They're stuffed with left-handed bats. They don't need it anymore. Well,
1: yeah, I know. But I'm saying like, okay, today's a day when you've got a good right-handed pitcher, you're going to go put Hunter Dozier out there or Michael Garcia or Nate oh. Eaton. They're all right-handed. Like they, 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 you know, and so, I mean, I know it's not a huge deal, but I'd love to have somebody left-handed in there.
0: That's why Duffy's on this team. Honestly. Like, that's why yeah. they signed him. Well, um,
1: but he's not going to, he's not going to make, I don't think he's making the roster. So
0: <laughs> I think he's played so well. He, have you seen him? Pl- he's I did. So yeah. well this spring. I think he is making the roster. Really? Honestly. I thought, I thought Camargo would have the upper hand to start because he can play shortstop and because he's better, a better glove defensively probably. But Duffy has just played outside his mind for the lot, for the first 10, 11 games so far. Anyway, if he keeps playing like this, Duffy's going to make the roster. I think so. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's intrigued us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you are one strange fella. (laughs) Tell us something that is interesting to you outside the world of baseball, but keep it PG. Okay, we're going to keep it PG. And I want to, here's my hot take, okay?
1: We live in a a region with some very high quality college basketball right now, okay? Okay. KU, tradition out the wazoo, great basketball team. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. K-State is having a resurgence with their new head coach. They look very strong. Mizzou, going to make the NCAA tournament for the first time in a really long time. They're having a bounce back. They're, They're going to, I think they are maybe the third team in the SEC right now or something like that, three seed in the SEC tournament. They're having a great year. None of those are the best basketball team in this area, not a, one of them, you know, who is the Northwest Missouri state bearcats, ladies and gentlemen, they could take
0: KU. We want KU. We want KU, KU.
1: The, if you don't (laughs) know about the Northwest Missouri state bearcat basketball team program at this point, you got to get out there and figure it out because they are on a run of dominance through division two basketball that I'm not sure has ever been done. They are the, the UCL, the John Wooden UCLA teams of division two basketball at this point. Um, it's unreal. They just won their eighth. No, sorry. their seven out of eight years. MIAA tournament. They've won the MIAA tournament seven out of the last eight years. Okay. That's unreal in a very good basketball conference. They also have won like a bunch of national championships in the last, if not for the COVID year, which they likely would have won the national championship. They'd have like four in the last five years. It's unbelievable. They just lost last at the end of last year, they lost probably the best player in division two history. One of the best players in division two history in Trevor Hudgens. And they're 29 and two this year. It's unreal. I mean, the, the quality of coaching there from Ben McCollum and the, the, the way they develop players. It is unbelievable. Those guys come in, they fit into roles. They always shoot. They always play defense. Um, They've got a ton of talent from the Kansas city area. It's just really awesome to see Northwest when we were there, they were a football school through and through, and they are still a very good football program, but you have got to say they are a basketball program that cannot be stopped right now and uh, super proud of what they've been able to do. So shout out to the Northwest men's basketball team. You are unbelievable.
0: That is really cool to see all the time to watch them continue to just roll and be dominant in division two basketball. That's a lot of fun. I'm talking about something a little more serious, but I guess we could make a joke about it if we want to. Um, (laughs) You always talk about serious stuff, Debbie Downer. Well, hey, well, here's the thing. This was on my mind this week, guys. I'm talking about setting boundaries at work, okay? Uh, I have entered a situation uh, where uh, I need to set a boundary at work because somebody is asking me to do something that I don't think I should be asked to do. And, uh, you know, so what's weird is when I first got a job, Mike and I grew up without a ton of money. And when you grow up without a ton of money and somebody gives you a job, it feels like a lifeline, like you you cannot do anything to mess that job up, right? And it took me a long time of sort of being exploited at whatever job that I worked to realize, no, you have to set some boundaries. You have to advocate for yourself and you have to, and it is perfectly fine and perfectly okay and perfectly reasonable for you to set boundaries with your employer with your boss, with whoever you got to set boundaries with, because you are being paid to do a particular thing. You are being paid for your labor from this time to this time. You are being paid for doing these particular things. If, if somebody asks you to work outside that or to do something outside that, you can say no, right? It, it's perfectly fine for you to say no. And You might be worried like, well, what if there's retaliation or something like that? First off, in most places, they're not allowed to retaliate against you for that. It is against the law for them to ask you to do something that is outside your job description and then fire you for not doing it. So understand that you have rights as a worker as well. And so- Set those boundaries, make it clear that you are an adult and set those boundaries so that you don't get exploited at work. That's a hugely important thing to maintaining your own well-being. It's a huge important thing to maintaining happiness with the career that you've chosen to where you continue to like it and love it and not just be exploited all the time. Because trust me, they will squeeze every dime out of you that they can. So don't let them, right? Set those boundaries and make it very clear. Be professional, be courteous. Don't be mean about it but set the boundaries, make it clear where you will and won't go.
1: Yeah. that happens all the time in my profession, especially to new teachers, because like you said, they're, they're kind of afraid to say no to things. And so, yeah, I always try and get my, my hooks into some of those new teachers and, and tell them that exact thing. Like it's okay to say no, when they ask you to do something, you know, they, a lot of times teachers are expected to go way above and beyond what their actual contract dictates that they do. And so, I, you know, the younger teachers, I'm always like, guys, listen, you have to tell them no, or they're going to keep coming to you to do these things. And they're not going to pay you either at all or enough to do them. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do. It's hard to say no when you're young, especially.
0: Yeah. And it's really encouraging me to see that the younger people, younger than me, the generation that came after me is having a much more healthy attitude towards work in this respect. Right. So you hear things about like, young people no longer willing to be exploited by my employers and then expressing their, you know, uh, dissatisfaction with working conditions or with what's being asked of them a lot. And the older generation gruffs like, Oh, in my day, we did a, I was exploited for years and it was, you know, I'm proud of it or something. And, and I'm, they're just like, I don't care what you're saying. And I love that. That's how it should be, right? Like you're paid to do a particular thing. This is an exchange of money for labor. And that is it, right? Like, Nothing else. We're not a family. I'm not like whatever, all this bullshit you tell me. I, it's not true. I'm not, I'm not of your family. I'm not whatever. I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Like,
1: so this uh, is the line. This is the line I always give to people. This is not my life. This is just what I do for money. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That's it. Do I like what I do for money? Sure. But it's not my life. Okay. Uh, no, yeah. Royals so no- weekly is your life. Royals weekly is my life. I will die <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs>
0: Yes. And hopefully it's your life too. And hopefully you come back for the rest of this week as we continually pump out content, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll be putting out stuff there and announcing when our new episodes are coming out this week. So make sure you're keeping your eye out. We'll be down in Arizona. Let us know if you want us to look for anything in particular. Let us know if you have any questions about what's going on there. Yeah. Hey, if you guys could send us like restaurant recommendations and stuff like that, we would
1: greatly appreciate that as well.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out something on Twitter or something like that for, for those as well. So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the 1000 listen episode. You guys have been so wonderful. Appreciate it so much. We'll be back next week. Actually, we'll be back in a few days with a bonus episode until then be good to each other and go Royals.